I do just want to thank the congregation of Calvary Spokane just for your wonderful generosity because a part of what you give goes to support this amazing translation work of our Bible commentary into Russian. This is a big part of our vision for our commentary that we call the Enduring Word Bible Commentary and uh, is to translate in other languages. Look, a good Bible commentary, there is the, the, our Russian page uh, because once we get up to a certain level of translation, books translated, we make a dedicated commentary page in that language. So we have dedicated commentary pages in Russian, Arabic, Chinese, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, Farsi. Uh, and we're really happy with uh, the, the ability to provide these needs because as Pastor Ken said, it's really rare to find good Bible resources in other languages, especially free online. Uh, now, the, the whole team in Russia does an amazing job, not only of translating, but putting that translation into beautiful books that they make available for pastors and Christian workers over there, and they, they just do an amazing job with that. But what we're also trying to do is build up the work of that Russian website that you just saw the, the screenshot of. And, and I just put out a little plea since I'm here uh, if anybody has any kind of expertise in uh, website building, in search engine optimization and such, for a Russian audience, man, I'd love to talk with you. Contact me later, because I, I think you could really help with what we do. We want our resources to get out to as broad an audience as possible. Anyway, thank you for that. Hey, let's spend some time in God's Word together, shall we? Uh, Turn to the Gospel of Matthew, if you will. We're going to begin at Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 26. Let me pray, and I'll tell you what I'm going to talk about here this morning. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for this time, this place. Lord, I'm grateful to this congregation and all that they do, Lord, to equip and train and disciple and, and evangelize uh, all over the world, Lord, particularly with the amazing work they've done for many decades in Russia. And so, Lord, uh, grateful for that, I ask now that you have your hand upon me as I endeavor to bring this precious congregation something from your word. Speak to us now this morning, Lord. We're grateful for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about faith. And it's a very particular kind of faith that I want to talk to you about. We all know that faith is important in the Christian life. I mean, that's no big news to everybody. We all get that. But Jesus spoke about a particular kind of faith. And as I look at it, as I read it, I'm not so sure if we want this kind of faith or we don't want this kind of faith. I mean, I'm kind of split of opinion. You'll see what I mean as we make our way through it. But Jesus alone spoke of this kind of faith, and he spoke of it four times in the Gospel of Matthew. There's one parallel passage in Luke, but, but four times in the Gospel of Matthew. And again, if I were to say, do you want the kind of faith that we're going to talk about here this morning? I think the answer is something of yes, and it's something of no. But don't make any mistake about it. Faith is essential to the Christian life. I mean, if you just do the most basic of word studies, the most basic of, of journeys through the scriptures, take a look. What, what does the Bible say about faith? Well, I mean, without citing specific passages, I, I can tell you that faith can work miracles for others. Faith can make us well. A faith can move mountains. Faith can fill us. Faith is the door to salvation. 
Faith purifies our hearts. Faith sanctifies us. Faith from beginning to end brings God's righteousness to us. Faith is our life. Faith is our justification. Faith is our access into grace. Faith is our standing before God. Uh, Faith marks the proportion of our use of whatever spiritual gifts God has given us. Uh, Faith is how we receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Faith is how we're blessed alongside with believing Abraham. Uh, Faith brings us salvation by grace. Uh, Faith makes Jesus to live in our hearts. Uh, Faith is a shield. Faith raises us up with Jesus. Uh, Faith brings us a fight to be fought. Uh, Faith makes the word of God profitable to us. Faith and patience make us inherit the promises of God. Faith is our assurance, even full assurance. Faith is substance. Faith is evidence. Faith is precious. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. I mean, that's just a very incomplete list, but that's a pretty big list. Faith is a big deal in the Christian life. I don't think there's really much debate about that. Faith is essential to our life and our walk with God. And we just sort of constantly find our place, ourselves in the place of that father who came to Jesus and pleaded with Jesus. He said, Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, I told you I was going to talk to you about a special kind of faith that Jesus mentioned four times. Faith that I wasn't sure whether I wanted that kind of faith or not. Here's the faith that Jesus made mention of four times in the Gospel of Matthew. Little faith. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6, beginning now at verse 26. Look at what Jesus said here. Of course, this is part of Sermon on the Mount, the, the most wonderful and famous sermon that's ever been preached. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 26. Jesus says this. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, one by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Hey, here's our focus line here. You of little faith. Now in the larger context here, Jesus is speaking from the Sermon on the Mount. Just previous to this, Jesus told us how we can't serve both God and money or God and materialism. You're in reality just going to serve one or the other. And in the context of speaking about materialism, material possessions, Jesus commands us, his people, he says, don't worry. Don't fret over material things. You see, worry is evidence of materialism just as much as greed is. And so Jesus says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly father feeds them. God provides for the birds and he takes care of them. Just the other day I was, well, all right. I live in Santa Barbara, California. It's a nice place to live. 
And there I am on a stand-up paddleboard paddling through the harbor, just a little early morning workout, which I like doing because it's picturesque and not very strenuous. That's kind of the workout I like. And I'm paddling through, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming by this breakwater, and it seems like there's 200 pelicans perched on the rocks of this breakwater. It's just hundreds of them. And I look at them and think, every one of those pelicans has to eat every day. I know there's a lot of fish in the sea, but I don't see them ever. Where does all the food come from? I mean, I know it comes from the sea, but it's not like I'm every five minutes seeing a pelican. Every once in a while you see one dive down. But it's just, I was just so impressed with the wonder of it. God has a way of feeding those pelicans every day. And I think, well, the Lord takes care of us too. And that's exactly Jesus' point here. Now, I, I, I should point out, though, the birds don't worry, but they do work. Birds just don't open their mouths and expect God to drop fish in their beaks from heaven. They don't worry, but they do work. And that's a great model for us. But the bottom line is this. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, are you not much more valuable than they? You see, the worry many people have over material things is rooted in a low understanding of just how valuable they are to God. They don't comprehend how much God loves them and cares for them. And so Jesus says, very logically, you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying. Not a single hour. Matter of fact, you know this, that your excessive worry can take hours away from your life. The stress, the pressure, the anxiety... All of it can actually remove hours to your life, much less add hours. It can't do that. Instead, Jesus said, verse 30, that we should look at how God clothes the grass of the field. Lord, you take care of the grass of the field, so you will certainly take care of us. And then Jesus kind of delivers the, the, the killer line there at verse 30. And he says, oh, you of little faith. That's the first use of that phrase in the Gospel of Matthew, little faith. And Jesus used it to describe the mentality that fails to see our value to God. If I could just say it directly, if you fail to see your value to God, you're a person of little faith. You just don't comprehend it. This is how we can sometimes think, God cares about the birds, but not me. God cares about the flowers, but not me. God cares about the people in the past, but not me. God cares about people in the future, but not me. God cares about, you know, the, the cool people, the, the with it people, but not me. God cares about some Christian celebrity, but not me. Do you see how dangerous that little faith thinking is now it can masquerade as humility but actually it's insulting to God it says this God you're a respecter of persons you might care about some people but you don't care about me like what Charles Spurgeon said about this that great preacher of Victorian England said he said little faith is not a little fault he said instead to think that the Lord who clothes the lilies will leave his own children naked is shameful. And then I love this little line from Spurgeon. He said, oh, little faith, learn better manners. Well, we should. Friends, 
in your mind's eye right now, just look at Jesus dying on the cross for you, paying the ultimate price. Isn't it rude to think that that does not demonstrate that somehow we would deny that demonstration of God's love for us? Little faith fails to see our value to God. Now let's take a look at a second use of this here. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. Here's just one verse we're going to look at here, but I'll set it in the context. He replied, and of course this is Jesus speaking here, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Now, you know the scene here. Jesus goes into a boat on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples follow him. They go to go across the Sea of Galilee. And as they're sailing across, a sudden and a severe storm arose. So severe that those experienced fishermen thought that they were going to die. It must have been a terrible storm. And quite logically, I think fittingly, there's some Bible scholars, commentators, that they see perhaps some demonic aspect behind this storm just because of the great fear that it made arise within the hearts of the disciples. But through all of that, where was Jesus, at least in Matthew chapter 8? Well, he was asleep in the boat. And when you think of the sleeping Jesus, doesn't that seem kind of tender and sweet? There's Jesus just sleeping in the boat. That's fine. But you know, when we have a problem, that's the last thing we want to think of. Is Jesus asleep in the boat? We want Jesus awake and active to our every need. The disciples took no comfort in the sight of the sleeping Jesus. They didn't say, well, you know, if Jesus is asleep, then everything must be all right. I don't have anything to worry about. That was not their reaction at all. Instead, they woke up. And they probably yelled in Jesus' face, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And then look at the reaction of Jesus in response. Jesus did not say this. He didn't say, wow, this is a bad storm. Thanks for waking me up. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, how dare you ask me to save you? He didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, oh, you're a bunch of wimps. You call this a storm? I've seen much worse. Jesus didn't say any of those things. Jesus didn't say this. Don't you ever wake me up again. Can't you guys leave me alone just for a few minutes? No, it was none of that. Instead, Jesus said this, and we saw it in verse 26. Oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Jesus rebuked their fear and their unbelief. He did not rebuke their request. He did not rebuke their waking him. We shouldn't think, well, that Jesus is like I am sometimes, just in a bad mood because I got woken up from a nap. That wasn't it at all with Jesus. Jesus was upset because their fear and their unbelief went together. Friends, we should trust God, and we should trust God so that there's very little room left over for fear. I find it remarkable, don't you? That Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Now, uh, we should not deny that they had reasons to be afraid. The, the waves were, were raging. 
The wind was blowing. The ship was rocking. These experienced fishermen felt that there was some real danger that the ship would go down. No, 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 we don't want to blind our eyes to the real reasons that they had to be afraid. But friends, here's the thing. They had greater reasons for faith. And that's really what I would want to just call your mind to and remind you of relevant to your own life. Faith is not closing your eyes to the problems around you, blinding yourself. No, faith is seeing more clearly than ever before. For while you'll acknowledge the reality of the difficulties you're in, you're looking at something even greater. You see, friends, they had many reasons for faith and a faith greater than their fears. Number one, they had Jesus with them in the boat. And upon that, they had Jesus asleep. The peace of Jesus should have given them their peace. You know, I, I, I travel a bit in my life, in my ministry, and I haven't been to very many really dangerous places. Many years ago, I went to Iraq, and I suppose that was kind of dangerous in some ways at least, and we were traveling around to different places, but we had a guy traveling with us who was just a real legitimate security expert. Big law enforcement background, training on all different kinds of levels. And let me tell you, I was at absolute perfect peace just being there with him. I didn't have to worry about a thing because he was there to worry about it for me. And his name is Tim. And you know, and if Tim told me to do something, I did it. If he told me not to do something, I didn't do it. And I just didn't worry about a thing because if Tim wasn't bothered, then I don't need to be bothered. Well, in an analogous way, it's that way with our relationship with Jesus. And it could have been that way with the disciples in the boat. Jesus, you're not worried, so we don't need to be worried. But they also had a reason for faith. Because just before this, they saw an example of great faith with a centurion, a Roman centurion, a Roman officer who trusted that Jesus would heal his servant. And Jesus praised the great faith of that man. And they had reason to believe, well, the Jesus who took care of the centurion's servant, he's going to take care of us as well. Matter of fact, they had just seen many significant miracles that Jesus had done, showing his power and authority. That The centurion's servant healed. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law healed. Many people healed. They had real reason, just in the very recent past, to say, God's with us. God's going to take care of us. They had reasons for faith. But friends... Little faith finds it easy to forget the great power of Jesus. Friends, are you like me? Sometimes I forget the great power of Jesus. Sometimes I forget that Jesus can change hearts. Isn't that a strange thing to think? I mean, I know Jesus has changed my heart. I've seen people that, that have been miraculously and wonderfully changed by Jesus, but there's just something in me that somehow looks at someone, maybe a loved one in my life that doesn't know Jesus yet, and I look at them and I go, oh no, not them. Man, that one's too hard for the Lord. I, I don't know if Jesus can work in their life. And, and, and I wouldn't even articulate those words because it's so unspiritual to say, but, but it's there in my heart. No, friends. Jesus has the power to change hearts, even stony, rocky hearts. Jesus has the power to provide. Jesus has the power to use poor instruments in his work, even people like us. And Jesus has the power to work even despite human wickedness. 
Friends, little faith forgets the great power of Jesus. And that's exactly where the disciples were in this boat. Friends, doubt yourself, but don't ever doubt the power of Jesus. All right, so let's look at the third one here. The third incident is in Matthew chapter 16. And if we were going to talk about the first one is that little faith forgets our value before God. The second one, little faith forgets the power of Jesus. With this third one in Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 5, I would say that little faith forgets what Jesus has actually done. Here we go, starting at verse 5, Matthew chapter 16. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, well, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, oh, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Now, friends, this incident, again, on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, this was not long after the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus took seven loaves and a few fish and multiplied it so that 4,000 men, not counting women and children, ate until they were filled up. That's just in the preceding verses. And right after that, Jesus had another one of his confrontations with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they, in their unbelief, demanded that Jesus show them a sign. And what they were looking were some miraculous, dramatic sign that Jesus would call down fire from heaven, preferably, uh, and send that fire upon some Roman legion or something. And, and they demanded that sign, but Jesus rebuked them and then goes off again with his disciples. And when they left with Jesus, the disciples forgot to take some bread with them. So then when Jesus warns them about the hypocrisy and the religious phoniness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, be careful, it's, it's like yeast rising and spreading through a lump of dough. They thought that Jesus was dropping hints about forgetting bread. Do you ever do that? Do you ever try to communicate by dropping hints? There's no wives that do that, are there? You, you just try to communicate, you, you won't say it right, you just drop in. They thought that Jesus was trying to communicate, like, well, like sometimes a wife might. Just dropping a hint about it without saying directly. But that's not what Jesus was talking about at all. So Jesus confronted them. He says this in verse 8. Oh, you of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves? I've been warning you about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But you're twisting this into me criticizing you about why you didn't take any bread. Friends, when we lack faith, it's easy for us just to discuss things amongst ourselves without really going to Jesus and looking for his direction. I think it's sort of an interesting phrase Jesus uses there in verse 8. Look at it again. You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves? I've explained it to you. You know, sometimes we use discussion among ourselves as almost a replacement for obedience to Jesus. Now, I understand this is a principle that can be misapplied and misused. But, but there is a place where we just should stop talking about it amongst ourselves and just simply do what Jesus told us to do. 
Maybe we don't have perfect clarity, but we have enough. And Jesus says, no, you've forgotten this. And that's why you have little faith. Friends, it's really true that little faith will forget what Jesus has done. Jesus just provided bread for 4,000 men and knew who knows how many women and children. Do you think I'm really worried about having bread in the boat? Jesus explains to them. Don't forget what I have done. Dear friend, what is it that you have forgotten that makes you of little faith? Can I put it very directly? As I think of this sentence I'm about to say in my mind, it almost sounds rude. I don't mean it in a rude way, but I'll just say it directly. How many times does God have to prove himself to you? Really, how many times? Friends, God has been faithful to us, his people, again and again and again. But don't we have this strange, almost a bizarre habit of forgetting the things that God wants us to remember, and then we have a way of remembering the things that God would have us forget? Just recently, in my own study, I've been going through the, the book of Joshua, I'm at this place in the early chapters of Joshua where when they cross the Jordan River, this amazing, spectacular crossing of the Jordan River, you know, as I'm reading this in the book of Joshua, I think, this is just as spectacular as the crossing of the Red Sea. Why is it that the crossing of the Red Sea gets all the press and the crossing of the Jordan gets very little attention? It, it, it's a very similar miracle. It's not exactly the same, but in so many ways it's very similar. And one got them out of Egypt and the other one brings them into the promised land. It's just this amazing, spectacular miracle that God commanded and led Israel through. But, but he commanded them to do something. He said, when you go through the, the, the riverbed here, the dry riverbed, I'm gonna stop the waters. If we go through, I want you to get 12 big stones from the bed of the Jordan River. One representative from each one of the tribes, I want you to carry those stones out of the bed of the Jordan River, and when you go to the bank on the promised land side of the Jordan, I want you to build a memorial, a monument. Why? So that, friends, so that your children in the succeeding generations will come in and say, Father, what, what's the meaning of this big pile of stones? This looks like a memorial that somebody's made. What's the purpose of this? And then you can tell your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, you can tell them, let me tell you about the amazing thing that God did to bring us into the promised land. Friends, do you realize that when God does these spectacular things in our lives, that, that they don't become less real in truth. They don't become less real with time. Oh, in our memory, they may become less present, but they're not less real. Of course, the ultimate example of this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, isn't it? I mean, that historical event, that thing that happened some 2,000 years ago, it is just as true, it is just as real as if it happened yesterday. The, the passing of time doesn't make it any less real or any less true. But we have this tendency. And when you put all of that together, I just ask myself the question I just ask you, how many times does God have to prove himself to me? How many prayers does he have to answer? How many people does he need to bring to faith? How many times does he need to provide? How many great miracles do I need to see him do until I just say, no, Lord, it's finished. I, I, just, I just need to rest and trust in you. And said, so often, I'm like one of those disciples in the boat with Jesus. Jesus just fed 4,000 men and who knows how many women and children. And I'm like, well, Jesus must be worried about bread. 
Did you just forget what I did? Oh, you of little faith. Find a way to memorialize the great things that God has done. You know, I, I look at your faces all around this room. And I just consider how there's a life story. There's a life experience behind each face with your faith and your relationship with God. And if we could gather up just one story from every face in this room, one story of an amazing thing you've experienced God do in your life, wouldn't that be an amazing collection of stories from this room? And they're all true. And they all give us reason to say, no, no, forget about little faith. I want to have great faith in God. All right, and that's number three. Let's talk about number four. And for number four, let's go back a couple chapters to Matthew chapter 14. You might say, well, David, why didn't you go sequentially? Why didn't you do this one first and finish? Well, because I wanted to do this one last. I thought it would be better last. That's the reason why we're saving this one here. Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 28. The fourth instance where Jesus uses this phrase, little faith, in the gospel of Matthew. Lord, starting at verse 28, Matthew 14. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Now I could stop right there. You, you know this incident, don't you? Here's Peter. He's about to walk on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. You know, in the four experiences, the one time, the first time we saw Jesus talk about little faith, it was in a sermon. But in the four experiences that Jesus talks about little faith, all three of them have to do with boats. And here, Jesus is in the boat, or actually he's on the water, and he tells Peter to get out of the boat. And you know the incident here. Peter asks this crazy question. By the way, has it ever struck you what a crazy question that is for Peter to ask? Lord, if it's really you, then have me come walk out on the water to you. I, I don't know. Peter thought of some crazy things. It, it, it's just a real strange question. Let, let me walk out to you, Jesus. And Jesus says something even more remarkable. Go for it. Come on out. And verse 29 says that he actually walked on the water to go to Jesus. What an amazing statement. I tell you, we, we talk and we badmouth Peter a lot. I, I wanna, I'm going to be in heaven. You are too. I, I, I am, I'm going to just assume all that. We're, we're all going to be in heaven. And there's lots of preachers who are going to have to give an apology to Peter for the way that we badmouthed him. You know, P Peter's going to be the guy coming up to us saying, did you notice that I did walk on the water for a few steps? Did, did you all do any of that? No, no, Peter, I never did any of that. But nevertheless, it is true what verse 30 says. That when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Jesus noted that Peter, being very troubled by fear, is sinking. 
He walked on the water, but he feared the wind. That's human nature. We can achieve great things, and then we can get stumbled by lesser things. But let's not focus on whatever failure we see in Peter right here at this moment. Look at verse 30. It says, beginning to sink, he cried out, beautiful prayer, Lord, save me. Friends, that's a handy prayer to keep in your pocket, isn't it? It's not long, it's not eloquent, but man, is it powerful. Lord, save me. And just begins to sink. Jesus lifts him up. They return to the boat. And then Jesus says, verse 31, you of little faith. Now, what was it about Peter's faith that made it little faith? Why wouldn't you just say that it was faith that looked more at circumstances than it looked at Jesus? That's really the difficulty here, and it's a very natural failing. It's a very human failing, but nevertheless, it made Peter a man of little faith. It wasn't the violence of the winds that made Peter sink. It wasn't the raging of the waves. No, it was the littleness of his faith. Oftentimes, we think that it's the circumstances that prevent our real trust in God, but that's not it. It's the littleness of our faith. And I think it's remarkable here what we see in Peter. We could have expected more of Peter here. That's some of the weakness of little faith. We also see that Peter's little faith was very eager for signs. Lord, if I walk on the water, then I'll really trust you. What, it's not enough to see Jesus walking towards you on the water? No, I I have to walk out to you to meet you to prove it. No. Little faith can often be very much distracted by the surroundings. But you know what? I, I will say this. For as weak As Peter's little faith was, there was still nevertheless something very strong in it. See, I got to say, for this message, I've kind of been, well, I've been challenging little faith. And I think that's okay to do because Jesus does. But may I for a moment praise little faith? Because Peter had little faith, but nevertheless, he walked on the water for a few steps. See, friends, little faith can nevertheless be true faith. Little faith can, in its own way, obey the word of Jesus. Little faith can accomplish great things, at least for a time. Little faith will pray even when it's in trouble. Lord, save me. And little faith can be safe when Jesus is near. Friends, I think Charles Spurgeon, if I could quote him one more time. He said something so eloquent about this. He said, you do believe, and if you do believe, then why doubt? If you're going to have faith, why little faith? If you doubt, then why believe? And if you believe, why doubt? You see, Jesus asked that very piercing question of Peter. Did you see it there in verse 31? Why did you doubt? He only asked Peter that question once he was safely in the boat. But at that point, it was entirely reasonable to ask Peter, Peter, can you explain yourself here? Why did you doubt? Now, I could just say, in theory, in theory, there could be reasons why someone might doubt Jesus. It could come if on former occasions, someone has found God to be unfaithful to his promises. It could come if some follower of Jesus very solemnly told you, God can't be trusted. 
it could come, if your problem is something so new or something so extremely difficult that not even God can handle it. Maybe it could come because God has abolished his promises to us and made them no longer valid. Maybe we would have a valid reason to doubt if God has changed somehow. But friends, I think when you examine all those things, you just have to say, none of those things are true. I don't know who in this room has walked with Jesus the longest. But if you were to get a testimony from the person in this room who has walked with Jesus the longest, I I, I would assure you their testimony would be, God can be trusted, Jesus is true, God's promises are real for today. Why did you doubt? Friends, it's useful for us to confront our doubts. Now, let me just say, I'm okay with people questioning their faith. God wants us to have a reasonable faith. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. God wants us to have a thoughtful faith. God wants us to have an intelligent faith. I don't believe that God calls us to blind leaps of faith, but to intelligent steps of faith. It's okay to question your faith. But friends, when's the last time you questioned your doubts? When's the last time you interrogated them? And said, do I really have a valid reason to doubt God on this point? Well, I find most of the time the problem with people, it is not that they're willing to question their faith. It's that they're unwilling to question their doubts. Was there a good reason for your doubt? Did, did any good come from your doubt? Do your doubts have really a solid ground before the Lord? And if I could put it to you this way, at the end of it all, there's something more important than the amount of our faith. See, this is a great little contrast you could do. And if I was preaching two sermons to you, I would do one sermon on little faith, as we've seen here in the Gospel of Matthew. I could do another sermon on great faith. But there's something more important than the amount of your faith, and it's simply this. It's more important where your faith is placed. Great faith in the wrong thing will end you in ruin. Little faith upon Jesus Christ, the right one, the right thing, that can save your soul for eternity. If you have little faith, the most important thing you can do is take that little faith and put that little faith in the right place to trust in, rely on, cling to a great savior. Listen, you're better off having little faith in a great Savior than having great faith in yourself. It's not the measure. It's where it's placed. Jesus said that tiny faith, mustard seed faith, could do great things, which is absolutely true if you put your faith in the right place. Friends, do you believe? And when I say believe, I just don't mean an intellectual agreement. I mean that you would trust in, rely on, and cling to Jesus Christ for now and for all of eternity. That's wonderful faith. And if even today you have that little faith, I want your little faith to grow. I want your little faith to see its value to God. I want your little faith to see the power of Jesus. I want you to have little faith to see what Jesus has done 
I want your little faith to look beyond circumstances and look to Jesus. By those ways, your little faith will become greater faith. I have no doubt about it. But friends, may God give us great faith, but take even the little faith we have and put it in exactly the right place upon Jesus our Savior. Father in heaven, that is our prayer. Lord, I I think about every person in this room, and collectively, I I don't doubt that there's a, a large mix. Little faith, great faith, no faith. Lord, I I pray that you would help every one of us to make sure that the faith we have is upon Jesus Christ. Not upon ourselves, not upon the spirit of the age, not upon wishful thinking, not upon the fads of our culture or the world, but upon Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And Lord, take that little faith that we have, teach us some better manners, to trust in, to rely on and cling to you. And pray, Lord, that collectively we we could move into having greater and greater faith in you, the God who has done so much for us. We gratefully receive it, Lord, in Jesus' name.